This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to take a look at today, including all of the topics that you can see here on screen. We've got an index down below in the video description to find all this stuff quickly, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. They include Alex Acevis, who contributed via the YouTube membership program, Robert, who contributed via Patreon, and another Robert, Robert Sexton, who contributed via the Donor Box page. I want to thank everyone for their support this week of the channel, along with everyone who's been supporting the channel on an ongoing basis, and all of you who watch on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. We did a live stream the other day as I was shooting some odds and ends for the Extras channel. We'll probably have a few more of these coming up later in the week, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, we also had a new video on my Extras channel. Uh, there's a company called Unihertz that makes these wacky mobile phones. They had a really tiny one that we looked at about a year ago. They've got a new one that they just released that's called the Titan, uh, which is a huge BlackBerry-inspired phone. And we unboxed it on the Extras channel, and hopefully we'll get a review shot a little later this week on it. So stay tuned for that. And then on the main channel, we had a review of the Chewy U-Book tablet, Uh, This is a somewhat affordable device that had some pretty decent specs, but I always like to warn people about buying some of these kind of off-brand Chinese devices because they don't often come with a lot of support. Uh, Their mission is to ship product, not necessarily to support the product in the long run, Uh, so you always get what you pay for, but if you are willing to take the risk, it wasn't that bad of a device. Uh, We had another one that didn't do as well, a do-it-yourself switch dock review. Uh, One of the issues that... I've been dealing with with my Switch is finding a compatible dock that I can take with me on a trip that wasn't as large as the official dock is, and I didn't find one that would safely work with my Switch, but I did find one that allows you to take the guts out of the large dock and put it into something much smaller. So we detail how to do that and then take a look at how the dock performs after you reassemble it. And then we had our interview with Plex CEO Keith Valerie from CES. If you're interested in the direction Plex is going in, you can definitely check that out. And all the videos mentioned here are in the master playlist down below in the video description. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. This story surprised me because I've always thought there was a market for high-end retail for electronics, but I guess not. Bose is closing all of their retail locations in North America, Europe, Australia, and Japan. Uh, They're blaming a shift to online shopping as to the reason why they're doing it. Uh, And that is it for Bose retail locations. In fact, I've got one not far from me here at a local outlet mall, and I'm guessing that one is going away as well. And it's interesting to see Bose doing this because Apple seems to be doing really well uh, with their retail outlets. So perhaps Bose just didn't have the right strategy and I always felt like having a place to go to try out this stuff first before buying was always a good thing. Uh, but apparently Bose doesn't see the value of it any longer. So uh, be on the lookout for local store closures if you have one nearby. And you might be able to pick up a good deal as they're closing out these stores. 
And the Android police had a story that I think you might find of interest if you like Chromebooks like I do. It looks like they're bringing official Steam support to Chrome OS. And this has been something you could do for a while on Chrome if you have the Linux beta running on your Intel-compatible Chromebook, but it wasn't easy to do. You had to connect to different repositories. There was a lot of command line stuff to type in. Not impossible, but not easy for consumers to just click a button and get the install going. Uh, This looks like Google sees some value in bringing uh, some more games to the platform, and what better way than to connect it up with Steam, which already has decent Linux support. Uh, Also recently, uh, Google has attached GPU support to the Linux beta, and we were able to play around with that a little bit recently on this channel when we reviewed the Pixelbook Go. And there was another thing in this article that I found of interest, which is that it looks like we're going to be seeing more AMD Ryzen-powered Chromebooks in the coming months. And I think that will certainly be a nice pairing with uh, some of these Steam games, given that the Ryzen chips do much better uh, than their Intel equivalents do at graphics. So this is an exciting development. And if you are a fan of Chrome OS, definitely keep an eye on this because I think it'll be a fun addition to a growing platform that Google has put together. Now, back in December, Wise, who makes very low-cost security cameras, announced that they were removing an AI feature to detect people. Uh, This was a very popular feature because it would reduce the amount of false alarms that the cameras generate, and it was able to do all of this on device. Now, Wise did not develop this technology themselves. They were contracting with another company called Xnor.ai, which came up with the algorithms, and Wise was licensing that through a contract that they had with Xnor. But that contract allowed for Xnor to pull out of the deal anytime they wanted to. And in December, they executed that portion of the contract. And now this month, all of the Wise firmware updates getting sent out to their cameras will remove this on-device AI feature. And now we know why Xnor wanted out, and that's because Apple acquired them. Uh, This kind of technology is very attractive to Apple because they can continue to market themselves as the privacy company where they're not sending data off-site to be analyzed. It's all happening on-device. And the fact that they were able to get this algorithm functioning quite well on a super cheap wise camera, I think is a very valuable technology or software technology for Apple to have for their uh, devices. And that is why uh, your cameras will no longer detect people, at least until Wise comes up with another solution for that. Uh, Wise did announce last month that they're working on something that they're developing in-house, but that will likely require some kind of cloud processing to work. Uh, So whatever they come up with won't be as good as what they had here, and it was so good that Apple wanted it all to themselves. And we have a few privacy issues related to security cameras to talk about. The first involves the Ring camera. Uh, They have announced, according to the Washington Post, that they terminated a few employees for abusing access to people's video data. Now, these cameras, like many others, don't pre-encrypt the video data before it goes to the cloud. So it's possible that you can give employees access to see what your cameras are seeing. And it's up to us, first of all, to trust these companies and then hope that these companies have some procedures in place to prevent this kind of abuse. And this wasn't announced with some press release. It was in response to lawmakers who were querying Ring about their practices, and they let them know that they had let some employees go, but customers were never notified about this sort of thing. And this is an example of how we really need to start thinking about developing some standards for the industry to follow, whether it's disclosing these kinds of things on a regular basis 
or something along those lines, because if they don't start doing this, I think we're going to start seeing some regulations uh, coming into play here, which I'm sure the industry is not going to want to have to deal with. Uh, A related item here comes from Wise, who we just talked about. Now, a couple of weeks ago, they had a data breach where nobody was hacked specifically here, but the company had moved some data over to a development server that was publicly accessible, and that development server had the entire customer base and all of the installed units accessible to the world publicly, and a security firm found the database and went in there and started poking around, and sure enough, there were email addresses, device IDs, Uh, Some APIs for Amazon's uh, A-Word ecosystem were in there as well. Things you don't want to have released out to the world. Uh, Now, Wise has been letting customers know what they're doing in the wake of this. And they're doing some good stuff, but I'm I'm still concerned about this issue because uh, they're giving us a list of things that they are undertaking. First of all, they're going to have an independent investigation as to how the leak occurred. That's good. Uh, They're also having some security assessments and audits done by third-party security companies to validate their security and privacy environments, along with penetration tests by some of these companies as well, and then going through a few other security items that you can see here on the bullet list. And all this is great, but the first thing that I was thinking about when seeing this was, why didn't they do this before? Uh, Especially given that they're storing all of this unencrypted data from customers that could be made accessible the way that this development database went out the door like this. And it kind of speaks to the fact that perhaps privacy was not a corporate directive until this incident occurred. I think any company that's storing your private information should be doing this on a regular basis and disclosing to customers the results of these audits and tests so that we can have some peace of mind going into this. We trust everybody to secure our data, uh, but it turns out, at least in the case of WISE here, they hadn't really done a lot of the security efforts that we expected and trusted them to do. And now that they're kind of scrambling to react to what happened here, who knows what else they're going to find? And if they do find things, what does that mean for us customers? And what should we be concerned about here? This is the kind of stuff that really gets me nervous. And I think we do need better practices. We need better disclosure. Uh, Even when the news isn't good, I think they should be required to tell us what happened and what they're doing to rectify it and whether or not any data got out. Because how often are they finding things through some of these third-party audits that they don't tell anybody about because there's no evidence that things leaked out in the first place? But in addition to that, I think it's important maybe to start pre-encrypting data before it gets sent into these cloud providers. That way, at least, if you are going to utilize some kind of cloud, the data stored there is not accessible to the company or anyone else that lacks the security keys that presumably would be on your local device or software. And I think that would be a good thing to start thinking about uh, when you're looking for security cameras. I don't think there are any on the market that do that kind of pre-encryption, but it'd be good to start seeing companies move in that direction. And yes, it's great that WISE is taking these steps. Yes, it's great that they're communicating with customers to tell them what they're doing. But again, I question why they weren't doing it in the first place. And hopefully we'll get more details from WISE as they go through all of these tests. And I'm hoping, too, that they let us know if they find additional vulnerabilities, even if they were not exploited. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I had a really good question from Specter Scully on one of my live streams the other day. Uh, he asks, how important is timing and being topical for YouTube channels and videos? And how does one improve in this area? 
And my advice to anyone starting out on YouTube is to not be topical or timely at all because it's really hard to break into that news cycle uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that the YouTube algorithm doesn't have enough experience with you to recommend that video to people that are out looking for new content. Uh, You sometimes can hit the jackpot, but more often than not, you'll put a couple hours into something that won't get watched at all. And the other reason is that when people are looking for analysis of news items, uh, they want to know what the credibility of the presenter is. If you don't have a track record of talking about whatever topics you're talking about, it's harder to build that up and get that credibility over time. You might get there, but it's really hard. And there are a few people that have been able to do that, but more often than not, you will find yourself really struggling and getting frustrated uh, by spending all this time covering news and not getting anywhere with it. And part of the reason is that news content doesn't live all that long in the mindset of viewers. If there's a news topic out there, it maybe goes two or three days, then your video is no longer relevant. The weekly wrap-up videos that I do typically last for about three days to a week, and then they're never watched again. And if you're thinking about getting into YouTube and wanting to do something that can be sustainable, I would focus on more evergreen content first, things that live a lot longer. Uh, So, of course, I do product reviews with about 80% of my time here in production, and those videos tend to last years versus days. And if you're going to be investing your time into something, why not invest your time into something that will pay dividends for a much longer period of time, whether it's views, subscribers, revenue, or all of the above. Let me give you some examples of timely versus topical here. So, uh, let's take a look back at my CES 2019 dispatch. Uh, This is the weekly views on this very timely and topical video. Uh, As you can see here, we did really well at the outset for the first week. And then after CES was out of people's minds here, it pretty much dropped down to nothing. We had a little bit of a bump here right when CES was beginning this year. Uh, But I suspect a lot of people were seeing this video showing up in their feed and then seeing it was from last year and probably didn't watch it all that much. Uh, So this video did well, at least for my channel, over a short period of time. But over the long run, it doesn't do very well uh, because there's no relevance to this topic after the event ends, for example. So you put a lot of time, effort, and expense into something that fizzles out very quickly, even if it does very well in the short term. Now, by comparison, take a look at this one. This is the HP Sprocket review uh, that I did about two years ago, a year and a half ago. I got it in around the September-October time frame. Uh, The video did not do very well with subscribers initially, but search did its thing. And on Christmas Day of 2018, uh, when everyone was getting their sprocket printers, I got a ton of traffic on that video. And as you can see here, it's still getting watched, uh, more so than what we saw out of that CES video. Again, because this is something that is evergreen. It has value to people beyond just the initial upload. And this little bump here was Christmas Day 2019. Again, people got their sprocket printers for Christmas and wanted more information about them. And this is a video that continues to earn money for the channel, continues to get watched, perhaps attracts new subscribers every once in a while. And it didn't even do all that well with the subscription base to begin with, but there was value to this out in the ecosystem because a lot of other people weren't covering this topic. Uh, Another example is my Chrome OS 101 video that I made, I think, way back in 2014 or 2015. Uh, That one still is one of my top 10 videos 
every year over that period of time. Again, because the topic is evergreen and it's something that has value beyond its initial upload date. Now, if you think about this stuff, when you start attracting viewers and subscribers on topics that are evergreen, when news items come up about that topic, you're going to see more traffic coming in on the timely stuff because now you've got some credibility in that topic area. So if you are looking at starting up a channel, again, I would really try to focus on providing information about things that you know that might be helpful to other people, again, that have a much longer life to it. And if your intent is down the road to be someone who's going to be doing more news presentation about the topics that interest you, developing evergreen content, building a subscription base around that content only raises your credibility so that when you start talking about those news items, the words that you have have a lot more weight and value uh, versus just coming into topical content raw. That's my advice. I'd love to hear your thoughts down in the comments below. Now, this next question comes in from Jason Alex Miller, who was asking me what my ideal product would be. And the first thing I thought about was this Homer Simpson uh, car that was one of those classic Simpson moments where he's asked to design a vehicle to his specifications. And I was thinking if I ever designed a product, it would probably look like this. Uh, But the question was actually a good one because we cover a lot of things that we connect up to TVs on this channel. And over the years, I've been adding more stuff to my TV. And I took an inventory of all the things I have connected to it the other day. And it's getting kind of ridiculous again. So check out what's hooked up to my TV at the moment. Uh, We've got my gaming PC uh, connected up via a fiber optic cable. I did a video about that a few months ago. Uh, We have the Nintendo Switch, which I dock up there from time to time because there's games on the Switch that are not available on other platforms that the kids and I like to play. Running with the same exact guts as the Switch is my NVIDIA Shield. It won't run anything the Switch runs because of the differences in the software uh, and vice versa. But nonetheless, the Shield is still kind of the central device because it does all of my home theater streaming uh, along with my live TV watching. It's basically my cable box utilizing my HD Home Run Prime. Uh, But we've got an Apple TV hooked up up there now because there's a couple things that I can't get on the Shield, which I can get on the Apple TV, which I'll talk about in a minute. I've got the Xbox One X up there now because there are some games on Game Pass that I like to play that are not available on the PC. And of course, there's a few backwards compatible games that I used to play on the 360 that I need this console to play with. I've got my Blu-ray player that plays the 4K Blu-ray discs, although now the Xbox is starting to do a little bit better at that. And then, of course, we have all the features built into the smart TV, uh, and that is what I've got hooked up upstairs at the moment. Uh, This does not include, though, some of the FPGA consoles I've been playing with lately, like the Mister and the analog consoles. So you can imagine just how much stuff now is connected to that TV, and it drives my wife crazy. She doesn't even know where to start with it anymore up there. And part of my frustration is the fact that, again, some services that should work on the Shield don't, uh, specifically HBO Go, uh, which is something that you get as part of your HBO cable subscription. This is different than HBO Now. And for whatever reason, Comcast and NVIDIA never talk to each other, so I can't run HBO Go on my NVIDIA Shield, even though it's perfectly capable of doing so. Uh, What I end up doing is Chromecasting it from my phone, which works about 50 or 60% of the time. It's not always that reliable. It's been a real annoyance. I can't just hit the remote and pull up my HBO content. Uh, Likewise, uh, NVIDIA and Apple aren't talking, so there's no Apple TV Plus on the NVIDIA Shield, even though it's fully capable of doing it. My smart TV, if I had a newer one, would have Apple TV Plus, but my version of the TV doesn't. Uh, So therefore, I've got the Apple TV upstairs 
uh, just to play these two services that I can't play on anything else that I have at the moment. That's aggravating. Uh, the other thing that I've got is a Roku hooked up to my bedroom TV for this same reason, uh, because again, the Shield in the bedroom doesn't play HBO Go or Apple TV Plus shows at the moment. So there's content that I want to watch out there that I'm paying for, essentially, and can't get at because of these stupid licensing agreements. There is no reason why the Shield can't play this stuff other than the fact that these companies aren't talking to each other. We saw similar things with uh, the Amazon Fire TV and YouTube in the past. That's been rectified, but it really shows you just how sometimes it's crazy that we're buying extra hardware uh, to play stuff that's fully capable of being played on stuff we already own. It's very wasteful. So if I ever designed the ideal product for me, it would first of all look exactly like Homer Simpson's car, but it would incorporate all of this stuff into a single device. And what kills me is that my gaming PC here on the left is fully capable of doing all of this stuff, uh, but it never will do all of it because there's no money in it for the companies that produce these hardware platforms. And it's so weird too, because at least back in the 80s when you had VHS and Betamax, there were two mechanically different technologies. They were just completely incompatible with each other. That's not the case now. This hardware is fully capable of doing everything, and it's just these software developments and licenses around those things and media contracts that prevent us from having these devices actually work with and play content that uh, they are fully capable of doing. And that's just the reality of life in the 21st century as a consumer electronics enthusiast. In some ways, it's good job security for me. We have plenty to talk about here on the channel. But again, I do think it's kind of wasteful that we have to buy all this stuff just to get all the things that we want to run to run on our televisions. And my Q&A for you this week is on this very topic. I would love to hear what your ideal product would be. Uh, Let me know down in the comments below. And my pick of the week is something I saw at the Sony booth at CES. They had uh, this little thing set up with the Ecto-1 from the upcoming Ghostbusters movie. And behind it was one of these new video walls that have been getting some news lately in the Hollywood production world. And what these walls do is allow you to uh, basically set up a scene and have the scene dynamically change perspective as the camera moves. And I've got a video that you can watch to see the whole demo here on screen from Ghostbusters News. I saw the tail end of the demo. There was a million people around. I couldn't get a good camera angle on it. And I didn't want to wait around for the next one to start. So uh, check out what Ghostbusters News put together here because it's pretty remarkable. Uh, So what they're doing is they're generating the backdrop in a game engine. I think it's the Unreal Engine that they're using for this. And as the camera moves, the background's perspective will change based on the camera position. So think of this like a green screen on steroids, but there's no green screen. It's a super high-res display that looks on film as real as a set piece might. And again, that change, you can change that perspective as the camera moves and everything is tied together with the camera. So if you zoomed in on somebody or you moved the camera a little bit, that background is always going to follow it. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, The Mandalorian is using this technology for most of the scenes that you see in that show. And it looks amazing. And it's just something that I can see working its way down to uh, the consumer YouTube area at some point as this display technology comes down in price. Because I think a lot of us already have computers that are fully capable of doing this kind of rendering. Maybe not at... Uh, the scale for a Hollywood movie, but certainly something good enough 
uh, for a YouTube video. And again, you don't have to worry about all the complexities with a green screen or uh, you can even have people wearing green sweaters in front of this video wall and have it all work. Uh, check out the demo though. It's pretty remarkable uh, how this works. And again, it's, it's, it's being used right now on some of the stuff you're watching. And it's something that I am almost positive will make its way down to us consumers at some point in the near future. So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of live streams planned, four of them, all of them beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern time at the dates you see here on screen. Uh, These will be simulcasted here on YouTube, but also on Amazon. And from 8 to 9 p.m. on those four dates, I'll be on the homepage of Amazon doing my thing. So pretty cool stuff. You can find me on Amazon.com or uh, through YouTube. If you want to check it out and participate, please do. And again, you can follow me uh, by clicking the bell or going to my Amazon store page, lon.tv slash Amazon shop and clicking the follow button. I do these a lot randomly. These are going to be scheduled due to the Amazon homepage placement. So that's an exciting thing to do. Uh, The 22nd, we'll likely be doing something about running a multi-Nintendo Switch household, which is more complicated than I thought it was going to be. So that'll be the first topic, and then I'll come up with some other topics for the other three dates, and I'll probably pop on live randomly, as I've been doing as well. So stay tuned. A lot more live coming up. Uh, We're also going to have my review of the new gaming laptop I bought right before Christmas. This is the Y740 Legion from Lenovo. It's got an RTX 2080 Max-Q inside. And you'll see how that performs in the video. So stay tuned. That one's on the way. Uh, We're also going to have a review of this new gamepad from PowerA. I'm always looking for new and different interesting gamepads. This is called their Fight Pad. And it has a Sega-inspired floating D-pad here along with some huge buttons. And it's designed for fighting games. Uh, So that's coming up this week as well. And I'll probably have a few other things too. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also support the YouTube membership program. And if you subscribe there, you get a cool icon next to your name that will appear in comments and in chat. Uh, So a lot of folks have been signing up for that. We're almost to 50 YouTube members now, which is great. Uh, We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a little commission. If you upgrade to a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else, we get a larger commission for that. We have other channels you can follow me on, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have the podcast, which is an audio version of this show and some of the interviews that I do. Uh, The Plex interview was just added to the podcast feed yesterday. We have the Snippets channel, which are search-friendly versions of the topics we cover here on the wrap-up, and those do well over the long term. Talk about topical uh, topics doing well longer term. Well, if you do your SEO properly, sometimes they do pretty well. So that is why we do the Snippets channel. Uh, We have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live stream, where you can uh, watch me for hours on end. And we also have the Amazon shop, which I just mentioned, which is my presence on amazon.com. Now, if you want to be notified every time we go live or upload or do anything, uh, you can click on the notification bell and get those notifications delivered to you. Uh, We also have a very infrequent email list at lon.tv slash email. If we have some big topical news event coming up that we're covering, we will always let you know via that. We did one of those emails for CES. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. We have the Facebook group. I think we're almost to like 900 members now, which is great. lon.tv slash Facebook group. Maybe we're up to 800. Something something milestone-wise is coming up soon there. Uh, We also have the store at lon.tv slash store where I sell reviewed items at lower prices than new. 
And if you want to get alerted whenever we add something to the store, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert to get an email. Uh, up there right now, I've got an Amazon tablet. I've got the Echo Studio also from Amazon. And I've got two laptops with GPUs inside, a Dell XPS 15 from a couple of years ago and my Alienware 15 with a GTX 1070. Uh, both of those are being replaced by my new Lenovo gaming laptop here. And we're letting them go at a pretty decent price. Uh, if you don't like the price, email me. And if you've got an offer, make one and maybe we'll work out a deal. Uh, but please make an offer in the email. I'm not really into haggling. So let me know what your price is and I'll let you know if we can do that or not. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got a lot of great content and live streams on the way. I want to thank you all for your continued support and comments and viewership. Uh, please let me know down in the comments below if there's anything you want me to cover, and I'll try to do that for you as well. That's going to do it for now. We'll be back with more soon. And until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Rajesh Logic GR and Kalyan Kumar If you want to help the channel you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.